Welcome to the Faith Today podcast, conversations inspired by Canada's Christian magazine. What does it mean to truly care for one another, to really see and hear each other? And how do you do that with people who are different from you? Keith Dow is manager of organizational and spiritual life at Christian Horizons, an organization that works together with people who experience disabilities to accomplish their goals and nurture communities where everybody belongs. Keith is also the author of Formed Together, Mystery, Narrative, and Virtue in Christian Caregiving, a book that I confess I did not expect to love as much as I did. Maybe because the title sounded like it was heavier than what I sometimes read. But this book, which I could barely put down, made me think differently about what caregiving means and who we are to each other because of who we are to God. I'm Karen Stiller. This conversation is not just for people who work with people who experience disabilities. It's for anyone who wants to care better for the people in our lives and churches. So Keith, you are, one of your titles is Manager of Spiritual Life at Christian Horizons. And right away, I'm like, Manager of Spiritual Life? What does that mean? That's a great question. And I think you've touched on one of the the difficulties and the possibilities in my role, because I work with a large faith-based social service organization who receives a fair amount of government funding. And so there's a certain managerial aspect to what we do, but at its heart, it's a pastoral role. And so look, we serve a number of people with intellectual and developmental disabilities across Ontario and Saskatchewan, and then in countries around the world. And so at the heart of my role is how do we help people to experience belonging, particularly in their faith communities and with God? How do they find a home and a community with the people of God? Keith, I'm wondering, I myself have worked at various times in my life with people with intellectual disabilities. Our children have too. One of my sons currently is. And when I tell people and you know, even grandparents what my son Thomas is doing, they're just like, oh, he's so great. And that's so amazing. And there's sort of this hero thing, this hero story we tell about people who work with people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Do you get that? Do people think you're like really amazing? Uh, Absolutely. I mean, it is a tragedy, I would say, because it's such a rewarding role, uh, one that is an encouragement and just transforms the lives of anybody that I've met that has worked in this field has been in some way transformed by it. And it's also a job that that anyone can do. It's not about learning specialized supports. You don't need to be a, a holier than others person or have any kind of special degree. Obviously, developmental services worker is something that is is helpful, but really it's about being human and coming alongside other humans and relating one-on-one in that kind of a relationship. And I say it's a, a tragedy because I think often people will use this as a, a bit of a wall to say, oh, that's that's you're so wonderful. That's something that I could never do. And I saw it also, we worked for a while with refugee claimants in Ottawa, and I saw it manifested there as well, that people would say, oh, you're such wonderful people for investing in this. And it made me a little sad because I look at these opportunities and I think about how my life has been transformed by them. 
and how I know others' lives could be too. Sometimes there seems to be a wall there that people say, oh, that's, that's not for me, or I'm not good enough to do that. So hopefully, you know, people hearing this will be encouraged to think, yeah, maybe, maybe I can do that, can do that. Um, I know certainly for me, I never thought that I would be in this role. Uh, and perhaps I would have thought that way at one point as well. But once you enter into it and start meeting people, it, it just completely changes your perspective. Do you think, Keith, that it's fear that holds people back or that makes people think this is like a superhero kind of work? It's a great question. And I think it's a really important one for our churches as well. Yeah. That as as Christian Horizons, we come in and provide different kinds of accessibility training to talk about how can we make our physical space more accessible? How can our communication be more accessible? Those types of things. But when I'm talking with people about it, I usually say that the number one thing we need to get over is that fear that you're talking about, that I might say the wrong thing, I might do the wrong thing. Obviously, these these come with the best of intentions that I don't want to mess up. But I would love for me, I would love for us as a Christian community to approach it with the mindset that you know what, we're going to mess up, but we're going to fail forward. We're going to try. We're going to take those steps to get to know one another. I, I think you'll find uh, anybody who's considering this, I think you'll find that in those relationships, there's a lot of grace. There's a lot of grace. And I've certainly experienced that for myself as well as I fumble along. You know, I was thinking about my own life experiences in relationship with people with disabilities. And I think a I mean, and I'm embarrassed to admit this, Keith, but I think a, a learning curve I had to go through was understanding that they are as individual and as unique as any other person. And and so years ago, when I was in university, I worked as a a, a companion, basically, to a woman uh, with intellectual disabilities, and I had you know big plans. You know, I dragged her off to art galleries and. <laughs> made her come to our house for dinner where she had to walk up three flights of stairs and she did not she didn't like that and i realized that of course she has her likes and dislikes and her hobbies and the things she's she enjoys and i had to kind of relax my agenda and just you know the agenda i didn't even realize i had and just try to be her friend and let her get to know me and try to get to know her and that was just a huge revelation for me but it also feels like that should have been really obvious. And I think that's something that we all we fall, all fall into that trap, right? That we tend to see the world through our own perspective and our own lens. And, and when we can't, when we, we don't know something, we make up things to fill in the gaps. So if I don't know something about you or what you enjoy, then I'm going to have that tendency to want to fill that in with my own life and experience. Uh, but I, I think that that's one of the ways that we miss out on on some of the great joys of life as well, is that when we fill in those gaps, when we provide the whole picture, then we may not experience life through the other person's eyes. We may not come to know, wow, this is the way that God is living and moving and working through this person that that I can know. Um, and so, I mean, I, I still have that tendency regularly to to think, oh, this must be what the person wants. Or, you know, when it comes to accessibility, this must be what the person needs to have an accessible space. But then I need to take a step back and just say, no, I, I want to get to know this person. I want to find out, like, 
how they experience life, how they experience the world. And it's only after that human to human contact that I have a deeper appreciation, maybe for what their needs might be, but also for what they, they have to contribute. Because I think that's the other piece that sometimes when I fill in all the gaps, I might recognize a whole bunch of needs and not leave room for, for the person's grace, for the person's gifts, for the person's ability to contribute to the world around them. Yeah. And right away, Keith, when you said that, I thought of our local congregations again. And I, I, I'm sure there are some churches who are fabulous at this, and I would love to hear from them if they want to tell us their stories. I would think that would be, again, a learning curve for churches to figure out how to fully welcome and how to fully involve people with different levels of ability into you know, the work of the church. Have you seen that? Absolutely. It's a difficult time, obviously, for, for churches right now coming out of a pandemic or going through a pandemic. And a lot of our congregations, especially in person, are smaller than what they were before. And so we're, we're considering how do we reach out to people uh, who aren't here. But I, I think that there's an additional risk of missing out on the folks with disabilities who haven't resumed in-person meeting right? Because it's so easy to get lost. And so again, it becomes a very human process of thinking through the people that I know, thinking through the people that might be in my community or my neighborhood as well, who maybe haven't been to a church before and just saying, I wonder who's out there. I wonder what they might need. I think sometimes we become so focused on the people that are immediately around us that we don't take time to consider those who haven't even been invited and sure, we, we're not going to have everything together. I'm sure uh, you invite a whole bunch of folks of any tradition or any background, and they're going to encounter barriers when they come into your space. But it's worth it. It's right. It's worth it to invite people in to experience that belonging. From there, you're going to figure it out. There's going to be those those steps that you take and those things that you learn that are going to make it so much better. So, Keith, I'd like to jump to your book for a, a moment, which is called Formed Together, Mystery, Narrative, and Virtue in Christian Caregiving. And you're really digging into theology in, in this work. And I'd like to read one line from it, which I found really like a light went on for me. And you write, intellectual ability will not get anyone closer to the love of God. This love is a gift freely given, a hidden spring that give rise to love for one's neighbor. That idea of intellectual ability not getting us closer to God just opened a whole door, I think, of understanding for me uh, that a relationship with God is available for everyone, no matter our limitations, intellectual or otherwise. And I mean, that is in some ways the heart of the work you've done with, with your wonderful book. Can you give listeners a little theological lesson on that? Let the light come on for them, too. Yeah, thank you. That really is at the heart of the book. I think you've hit on a key passage there. I would love to say that after years of study and being in the ivory tower and researching, I came up with this profound truth. But the fact of the matter is, like we were talking about before, it was really in relationship that uh, as I came alongside people with intellectual disabilities, as I became friends with people with intellectual disabilities, I began to recognize just the profound ways that God was working through their lives and through their ministry. And, and the light went on for me in that situation as well to say, 
you know what, Keith, maybe you don't need to have all the answers. And I've certainly done a fair amount of uh, school in my day, um, mostly to be out of the the questions that I ask, right? There's so many questions in our faith. And so just pursuing those questions gave me a real love for learning and seeking to understand. But some of those things can't be understood apart from real and meaningful relationship. And I know I, I grew up in the, the evangelical tradition and um, my father is an evangelical pastor. So that's an important part of my life and upbringing. But sometimes there, there are certain situations in which the gospel is formulated as a set of propositions, right? That you need to believe this or that or profess this or that. And, and it, it was encountering people with intellectual disabilities that I realized that it's okay for me to ask questions. It's okay for me to wrestle with my faith and to receive the love of God, uh, as in that passage, right? That it it doesn't depend on us so much as it depends on the love of Christ that flows through us. Um, and that there's just a real grace and a permission to not have all the answers there, which has been a huge blessing for me. Yeah. And when I think about how many people we hear about, uh, you know, the deconstruction of faith so often now as a an, an important topic, but this idea of head knowledge and assent to certain doctrinal statements is very different from receiving, you know, the merciful love of Jesus and how that can change our hearts and our relationship with other people. Can you talk about that then, that we as receivers of love, what we do next when we think about our neighbors? For sure. I've I've been reflecting lately on the the words of the angel to the shepherds that I bring good news of great joy that will be for all people. I'm just struck by that. I'm captivated by that. I mean, it must have come as quite a shock to the shepherds. <laughs> they certainly weren't expecting this kind of theological revelation. That's the heart of the gospel. That's the heart of evangelism, the good news. And sometimes I feel like we miss out on the, the last two statements. It's good news. And what does that good news look like? It's good news of of great joy. It's this joy that's going to transform us, even in the midst of some of our most difficult circumstances. And we certainly see that in, in Jesus' life and ministry with others. And it's for everybody. I mean, the, the message was originally to shepherds who weren't expecting this, but it transformed their lives. And so when I look at that example, when I look at the life of Christ as he interacted with those around him, largely in, in streets, in homes, in the, the places where people lived and interacted with each other. I asked the question, how can we be good news of great joy? How can we bring this overflowing, bubbling joy about who Christ is into our ac interactions with other people? And I think that's kind of at the heart of what Christian Horizons is about, too, that we may not start with like the theology of Christ or what have you. But we really do hope that when people experience us, when they interact with us, they experience good news. That obviously hasn't always been the case through history when people interact with Christian institutions, right? But what does it mean to be good news that brings great joy to all people? Yeah, and that is so deeply relational. And I think evangelicalism can be susceptible to this in particular, and maybe it's more just in the publishing and the Instagram side of things, but this 
individualism that is so me centered, me and Jesus, you know, me and my brand or whatever. And what you're talking about here is so neighborly, you know, in the best sense of the word, it's inherently communal, right? And being in community with each other. For sure. And I think we've all come to experience that community is messy, right? Yes. So messy. So messy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes there's a really there's a really dark side to that. Yeah. And we can all see that. I don't need to talk too much about that. But there's also a really beautiful side to that. We touched on it when when we're talking about like I don't I don't know this other person. I can't interpret life through their eyes. And there's a mystery there. I think sometimes we have a tendency to see that mystery as something scary, mm -hmm. right? If I don't understand it, if I don't know where you're coming from, if you have a different view than me, or if you approach life differently than me, then I'm just going to, I'm just going to back up. But I think that's exactly the time that Christ is calling us to enter in. Like if I don't, if I don't understand you, I don't understand how God is working through you. I don't understand how the spirit of God is maybe working in your life, even if you wouldn't describe it that way, right? And it also frees me up because it means that I don't have to have the answers when I enter into new spaces that might be confusing for me, might be frightening for me at times. But I can just look for the ways that God is already at work. Jesus is already at work in these spaces, in these neighborhoods with my neighbor down the street, who I might not understand at all. <laughs> but uh, there's a real opportunity there. You mentioned growing up in a, a church family, your dad being a pastor, and my husband is a pastor, and he has he is really good at making room for all kinds of people. He always has been, and he has helped me appreciate that sometimes people in our messy church communities who are maybe a little bit outside the norm or maybe are the people who make other people uncomfortable sometimes often they're they're kind of the mystics and the prophets you know in the congregation when you sit down and listen and i think that's a really beautiful thing and it is hard it is hard to talk and interact with people who maybe we're not quite sure what they're going to say next but i think you know if any place on earth is going to make room for people who are not quote unquote normal it should be the church right hmm you would, you would think and you would hope. Jesus in his day, you think of how he was received or John the Baptist who came before him, right? Yes. It would have been a, <laughs> a, a shock to the religious system to, yes. to have these folks Weird showing John. up. And, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or Jesus coming into your synagogue and saying, you have heard it said, but I say it to you. Uh, yeah. You know, you would be, you'd be in shock. But that is the example of Christ. I mean, a good question to ask ourselves is, would I receive Christ? Um, I mean, we often talk about receiving Christ in our heart, but would I receive Christ in my church, right? If, if Jesus showed up here today, we had a Mother's Day service at our church. I attend part of the meeting house uh, here in Ottawa. And we had a Mother's Day service a couple of years ago. And, you know, it, it was a good service. They were saying the, the usual things that one would say and recognizing mothers and people who may play a motherly role in others' lives. And we're not a get up and, and shout kind of a church. I mean, I love those kinds of churches I, and just the joy that's there, but we're not that kind of church. So people don't tend to talk back to the pastor or, or interact in that way. But we had one gentleman sitting at the very front of the church 
and he kind of comes in and out out of our community as as he as he wills. There's um, yeah, he's probably a, somebody that you would look at and think, uh, I don't understand them. I don't know where they're coming from. There might be a disability or something going on there. And as we were talking about Mother's Day, he just responded directly to the pastor. What about Mary? Yeah. <laughs> and so as a the tradition of church that we're in, Mary isn't someone we talk about or think about a whole lot. But it was incredible in that moment. Like your first thought is, oh, you probably shouldn't be shouting at the pastor in the middle of, of church. But the second thought was, yeah, you know, what about Mary? How does that look? And it just brought incredible richness to the service. And you never know what's going to happen when you invite people into spaces who might not otherwise be there, right? There are fresh eyes to see things in a new way. And that can that can bring a prophetic influence and I think a prophetic voice that the church desperately needs right now as we look at how do we recalibrate for the future. Yeah. Right? It's not going to happen without that influence, without the voices of of so many people. Yeah, no, that's really that's really good. Keith, you also um in your book you write about the danger, I guess I can use that word, of using people with disabilities as like a way to grow spiritually or a way to learn. And I found that challenging as well. And I had to really think about that. And I, I would love for you to uh, explain that a little bit. I, I mean, I knew as soon as I read it, I knew exactly what you meant. You know, I am not tending to the needs of this person so I can become more Christ-like. Can you dig into that for us? For sure. And I mean, we talk a bit about how looking at somebody as a hero can be a form of separation, right? And I think there's a similar dynamic that's at play sometimes when we when we look at people with disabilities as kind of an exemplar or only as like a prophet or something. It's a way of separating ourselves from from one another. And obviously, my, my as I've mentioned, my life has been changed and blessed and touched by interacting with folks with disabilities. But it's been it's been changed by interacting with all kinds of of people, right? Created in the image of God, and so I think my hesitancy there. And I love Henry Nouwen; his his writings are profound. I'm I've, I'm so impressed by him, just his ability to communicate significant spiritual truths. But we see a little bit of a tendency sometimes in the dynamic, even with Adam, a bit of a tendency to say. You know, this is what Christ was using Adam for to teach me. Right. And he wouldn't phrase it exactly that way, but there's a bit of that sense. I think the difficulty of that is that it it almost bypasses the person themselves. For Adam, that interaction might have been really difficult. I know an example is that we sometimes we need to slow down in order to really minister well to others. Sometimes we mess that up and there's an experience of grace there. Those are a couple of examples. And so those kinds of interactions could be really difficult for the other person. But then if we come along and say, well, Jesus taught me so much through that, then it's almost a way of minimizing that person's experience. And I would, I just want to clarify as well that it's, it's only if we kind of leave it there, right? It's only if we 
don't go on to acknowledge like, and we'd love to hear from this person what that experience was like for them, because it's so easy to tell the stories of others once we've made a certain sense of it. Right. And so even in, in the book, I frame the stories that I tell with this idea of giving an account of, and I can really only give my account. And that shouldn't be the final account. You shouldn't trust my account. <laughs> hopefully there's there's truth there. Hopefully there's, you know, Jesus is working through the accounts that we give, but it's not the authoritative one. It's one vantage point, which also reinforces the need for community. How do we how do we share our stories? And when I say we, I don't just mean people that communicate using words. How do how do we come together and find new ways of storytelling that that welcome in the witness of others, that welcome in the lived experiences of others? We might have to shake up our services. We might have to shake up the ways that we we think about you know the role of the pastor or any of the roles in our churches. But I, I love just imagining what our faith communities would look like if that was our mode of being together and sharing the way that God is is working in our lives. So if you are part of a, listening to this and you're part of a church community and you think, when I look around on a Sunday morning, I don't see that diversity of ability, if I can put it that way, how would you guide a church to start to open those doors wider or whatever they need to do to invite people in? Yeah, I think that's the the best first question, because even realizing that takes a certain awareness and a certain recognition that, honestly, maybe we're not receiving the fullness of what God has for us <laughs> because, because there are people missing here. I love the transition that many of our churches are having to being neighborly communities, right? So in my own church, we're starting to look at it as a parishes. So I'm part of the Ottawa parish. And I think the beauty of that is that it forces us to take a hard look, or it should at least, forces us to take a hard look at what is my parish, what is my neighborhood, who is down the street from me. Because if we look at if we look at our demographics, a much higher proportion of people with disabilities are in the community than are in our churches. Typically, I'm saying for a typical church. So even if we just go out and get to know the people who live down the street from us, that's going to that's going to change our de- demographics substantially. And that's a great first step. And there's no there's no shame in just trying things. For instance, maybe finding the local organizations that are near where you are. So contacting the local group home if you will or uh talking to folks at affordable housing and just saying we don't know how to do this. But we would love to welcome some people into our community. What would be the first steps in that? And again, you don't need to have uh, all the answers to do that. It's just asking the first question and following where it leads. Yeah, that's really helpful. And I, I really like that idea. And more and more in my life and in my work life in particular, I am willing to try things, accepting that I may fail. <laughs> and I think always, almost always, that's when the most creative work ends up happening eventually. I mean, you just have to, you have to try and we can do that in churches too. And I think maybe if COVID has taught us one thing, it is that, that we can actually try some new things pretty quickly and pivot as they say. 
Yeah, and that's been hopefully one of the gifts of COVID. I'm not I'm not an optimist at heart. <laughs> so so I know that early on in the pandemic, like that was something that was recognized that as we're as we're changing, as we're transforming, as we're trying new things, we're trying technology, that this might change our church practices for good. And we kind of like things the way they are. If if they're working for us, then we like things the way they are or the way that they were, right? And if we get shaken from that, it's it's really hard to let go of our preconceptions of normality, right? Because yes. we feel at home in the normal. And when I say we, I'm referring to people who have a lot of privilege like myself, mm-hmm. people who can... Mm-hmm enter into and out of spaces without too many barriers, people who can communicate in a way that others tend to understand them. If the world has been created for me, then normal feels like home. But when the world hasn't been created for me, it can feel like a hostile environment. For many folks, the pandemic reality was maybe starting to feel the experience of home in a new way. When if I'm having a difficult day with uh, chronic illness or disability or energy or what have you, and I can be at home and tune into my church service and maybe have ongoing like live chats with people who are down the street from me who believe in Jesus and are transformed by Jesus, and that starts to feel like home. And I think the real danger that we're seeing and don't get me wrong, I want to be with people more than ever before. Like I value that person to person, that messiness that we talk about in community, right? I value that messiness and our lives come crashing uh, into one another in a physical space. But when we pick that up too quickly and rush back to that, we might actually be rushing back to some idols that we've been hanging on to that God has been asking us to loosen our grip on, to say, who didn't feel like home in our spaces? And how can we continue this progression of welcoming people in rather than getting everybody into one space and and closing the doors? Don't get me wrong. I don't think any pastors are are at this point thinking, how do we uh, exclude people and get back to, you know, the good old days. Um, I don't think that's that's true at all. But it is that it is an instinct, right? It is my instinct to to want what is comfortable for me, and it may not be comfortable for others. Yeah, I think that's really an, an important reminder, Keith. And thank you for that. I'd like to kind of go back to the beginning as we end. And even though we said that we need to move through and past and leave behind this idea of using people to grow us (laughs) or to teach us things. I know that you've learned and been incredibly shaped and taught and all those good things through your work in this caregiving field. And I would love to just end with you sharing just a couple of what you consider to be the most important things that you have brought from this work, from your caregiving role to your other relationships? Yeah, thanks for asking. I think that's the question of Christian witness, right? That's the opportunity to witness because it's not it's not speaking to my own gifts. It's not speaking to what I bring to the table. It's asking about what has 
what has God shown you? How has God been working through you? And how has God been working through other people? So I really appreciate that question. I mean, obviously in the book, I, I go into some detail around what I call the virtues of care. And that those virtues are really my attempt to give words to the way that God has moved through my life in relationship, particularly in relationship with people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And as I've mentioned, I'm, I'm the type of person that wants to have answers. I'm the type of person that wants to figure things out. By God's grace, I often can be in those spaces to figure things out. But this also makes me sometimes hold on to things too tightly, <laughs> where I want to be able to give an answer for everything, but an answer that I have developed or come up with, right? And so I feel like in the in movements with people with intellectual disabilities, as, as I first entered into caregiving work, and I had to rethink everything that I knew. Um, I hadn't had a lot of experience with people with disabilities prior to joining Christian Horizons. And it was a shock to the system. It was a, it was a shock for me to realize that I could be needed and valuable and contributing in some of the most fundamental aspects of people's lives. And it was also a shock to realize that I, I couldn't do that well off the start, <laughs> that, that I had so much to learn and that there were people who were willing to learn this with me, people who were, were grateful, people who sometimes challenged me and were with unha unha sorry, unhappy with the, the way that I provided care. And that, that really paints a picture of, of who God is and what God is like in my life. Because, and I'm not saying just, again, not just the person with an intellectual disabilities, but that, that relational dynamic where we come to learn from and depend upon one another. Because it showed me how much I, I needed others, that I provided some of these basic aspects of care, but how much I also needed uh, friendship, how much I also needed belonging, how much I also needed welcome. And I'd say most of all, how much I needed grace for the things that I didn't understand, the things that I didn't know. And it really brought me a kind of peace, knowing that it was okay. And hey, if, if others are okay with me not knowing everything, then maybe God is okay with that too. If I can come home, if I can find that space of belonging with the people around me, then maybe God will welcome me in in that way too. And so one of the, the virtues I talk about is the virtue of uh, humble courage. And I think that speaks to this dynamic. The humility comes because I don't know who this other person is that I'm getting to know, right? I don't know everything about this interaction, but God is calling me to love and to serve others. And so how could that look? How could that, and having the courage to take that step and get to know people that, that I might not otherwise. Thank you, Keith. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's been a joy. Thank you for listening. Check out more podcasts and subscribe to Faith Today magazine for free at faithtoday.ca. This podcast is produced by the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. If you enjoyed it, please rate or share it.